invite you to turn with me in a Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And our focus this morning will be on verses 13 to 16. The writer of Hebrews has been highlighting examples, heroes of faith. He's described Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and he will continue. But he pauses here to offer a commentary on what it is that sets these individuals apart, to show us what we can learn from them, what we should emulate in them. And we're, of course, mindful that we are reading these words in the midst of very trying times. Very trying times. In many ways, times just as tumultuous and trying as those faced by Abraham. And so we need to learn from Abraham. As we face economic frustrations and difficulties, historically high inflation, rising gas prices, as we see the world just one false move, just one miscalculation away from a third world war, we can all feel some anxiety about living in these times. And we all want to know, or we should want to know, what does it mean to live well in the midst of times like these? What does it mean, what does it look like to live by faith in times like these? As if the pandemic were not enough, and COVID and everything that came with that, and all the costliness and interruption of that, now this. How do we live well? Well, some encouragement comes in knowing that our circumstances, as anxiety-producing as they may feel, really pale in comparison to those faced by the immediate audience of the letter to the Hebrews. These Christians are facing immediate threats to their lives. They are being persecuted, for real persecuted, facing jail, having their possessions taken from them, some risking even death to hold on to the faith of Abraham. So we have a lot to learn from them. And as we're going to see, learning from these individuals comes down to understanding real estate. Real estate. It comes down to coming to grips with that well-known mantra, location, location, location. Let's see how that is as we read together verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Location, location, location. The value of property, the value of real estate depends so much on location, does it not? And what we see in these individuals, what we see in Abraham, what we see in Sarah, are people who know where real value is to be found, who know what it means to invest wisely. Do you know how to invest wisely? What are you investing in right now? What we see here is that earthly real estate, earthly real estate depreciates in value by the second. Earthly real estate, the things of this world, are depreciating as we speak. They're losing value as we speak. It's like driving that car off the lot. You know it's losing value right away, as depressing as that is to think about. We don't invest in cars. We need cars, and so we pay whatever we have to pay, but we know it's a terrible long-term investment. So also, earthly real estate depreciates in value. By the second, as I speak, the things of this world are passing away. I'm getting older, you're getting older. Heavenly real estate, on the other hand, appreciates into eternity. Nothing will hold its value like heavenly real estate. So invest wisely. Invest wisely. So how can we tell the difference? How can we invest wisely? What does that mean? What does that look like? How can we invest in what will last as Abraham did, as Noah did, as Enoch did, as Abel did, as all those who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of individuals who show us what it means to live by faith? How can we invest wisely as they did? First, You have to narrow down the options. Narrow down the options. And those options are as stark as earth and heaven. When you're on the house hunt, first you have to decide where you're going to live. And I remember a season years and years ago when Holly and I were first looking for a place to live. And we were all over the place. We weren't really clear on what we wanted, and, and our real estate agent who was working with us said, guys, I think he was a little tired of driving all over the place and taking us here and there. He said, the first thing you need to decide is, where do you want to be? <laughs> location, location, location. What matters to you? What is central for you? So also, our lives in this world depend on narrowing down the options, and there are only two. There is investing in this earth and the things of this world, or there is investing in heaven. There is earthly treasure, and there is heavenly treasure. And that means 
that all of us are merely passing through. This world does not last. And sometimes it takes adversity, sometimes it takes disruption and disappointment in this world to remind us of that. And if you don't need any other reminder right now that this world is not heaven, surely this season will show you and remind you as you stand at the gas pump and watch the dollars keep going up and up and up, higher and higher. This world is not heaven. So what should we understand about this world? What is it about this world that led Abraham to keep looking, to live as a wanderer, as a pilgrim, to refuse to go back, to turn around? What was it that spurred him to go on, to look for a better country, a land of his own? We need to understand the nature of this world. The Bible could not be more clear about this. This world is our Father's world. God created it. And it is very good in God's sight. With the presence of human beings, men and women created in his own image, it is good. And God, at the beginning, created a place that is Habitable for the man and the woman. That allows life to thrive. And he places the man and the woman in the garden. And he gives them instructions to take care of it, to be good stewards of it, and to enjoy it. And he holds out the offer of eternal life. This can go on. The tree of life is right there. It's within reach. Enjoy it! But from the tree of the knowledge of evil you shall not eat. And our ancestors were not satisfied with that. They didn't want to hear no. Just like we don't like hearing no. We, we want to go as far as we want to go. We don't want God to say, this far, no further. So they transgress God's law. They did the one thing he told them not to do. And something that is easily overlooked about God's response comes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground. This, this place that I carved out for you to enjoy to live a long life, a healthy, prosperous life, now that's going to turn into thorns and thistles for you. Now life is going to be hard. It's going to involve painful work. Work itself is good. God ordained work, fulfilling work, meaningful work. But now it's going to become a slog. Now life is going to hinge on a daily grind. And cursed is the ground because of you. Creation itself bears witness to God's curse upon humankind. And this is why the same creation that we can go out and enjoy, the same beach, the same ocean that we marvel at, can also become deadly given changing weather conditions. 
That's the nature of life in this world. But God doesn't give up. As we've been seeing in Abraham, God calls Abraham. We see this clearly in Genesis chapter 12. And he tells him to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to give you a place that will be good for you. And he says later, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, in one sense, God is talking about literal real estate. Real land flowing with milk and honey. But there's another sense in which the land that God is talking about is not really just the land of Canaan. He's talking about a place that is prepared for God's people. He's talking about a place where we can enjoy God, where we can do what we were created to do, to know Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him, and to enjoy Him forever. That is the ultimate promised land. And that ultimate promised land cannot be found in any real estate here on earth. God has promised a better country for his people. A better country. This is heavenly real estate. This is real estate that only appreciates over time, that holds its value no matter what happens in Russia or Ukraine or China, or anywhere in this world, this real estate will hold its value. Are you investing in it? These people did. Even to the point of death. All these people were still living by faith when they died. So do you see the two options? There is this world that is marked by God's curse upon it, that is groaning, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, groaning to be redeemed. You see it everywhere you look. Just read the news, and you will see this world groaning, longing to be redeemed, longing for a Savior, longing for someone to fix this. Help! This world is crying out for help. And it doesn't know where to look. It just keeps looking back to this earthly real estate and thinking that if we invest more and more in the things of this world, if we more invest more time and energy in the things of this world, maybe then we can save ourselves. And it's fruitless. It's foolish. It won't work. There are only two options. Only two options. Which are you investing in? And then after you've Narrowed down the options. You need to weigh the cost. Weigh the cost. We read, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Opportunity to return. These are people who weigh the cost of earthly real estate and heavenly real estate. 
and they choose heavenly real estate, given the cost. And here's what we need to know about heavenly real estate. Heaven is free to you. Heaven is free. Not because of anything you have done or said, not because of your own wealth or earnings, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And yet, so often, we fail to heed these words from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. Heaven is valuable not because it's idyllic, because it's the perfect place, but because God makes himself known most fully there. And the richest affair, what we long for, what your heart longs for, is God. And as Augustine put it, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. This is why there is so much restlessness in this world. Restlessness in you and in me. Because we're not resting in God. We don't realize how free heaven is. It's free because of what this God has done to bring us to himself. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, from heaven to earth. Jesus gave up heaven, the glory of heaven, the comfort, the excellence of heaven to come to earth, this earth that is cursed and afflicted and desperate. And not so that he could be above all those things, but to be hungry as you are hungry, to be thirsty as you are thirsty, to grieve, to cry, to weep, to suffer as we do as human beings. But not only that, he came to suffer in a unique way, to offer up his righteous life in place of your unrighteous life, to die the death that you deserve. So that he says in John 14, Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Heavenly real estate purchased by the blood of Jesus. Purchased by the blood of Jesus. Free to you, a free gospel. I love that I can stand at this pulpit and offer you a free gospel. Just receive it. Receive it because of what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to go anywhere. It's available right here. And yet, we read of Abraham, he didn't receive the things that were promised. He only saw them. He welcomed them from a distance. So also, you say, well, it's so available. I don't see much right now. Ah, but this is where faith comes in. 
What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. An assurance, a confidence that Jesus has done everything that is necessary to purchase heavenly real estate for his people. The confidence that Jesus, the same Jesus, will one day return to earth to establish his kingdom perfectly. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth where the curse will be removed. And the righteousness of God will cover the world and all will be as it should be. And the whole world will be Eden, even better than Eden. Come on, you say. That's wishful thinking. I can't believe in that. Oh, it will be tested. Because remember this. Heaven is free. Heaven is free because of the blood of Jesus. But, but, living a heavenly life in the midst of this world will be costly. Heaven is free to you. Jesus has purchased it. But if you're going to live a heavenly life because of what Jesus has done for you, there will be a price to pay. Oh yes, there will be a cost. And that cost is living as a stranger, a foreigner on earth. And if you live as a foreigner or a stranger on earth, you know you are going to lose prestige in the eyes of the world. Other people will call you strange. Other people won't understand you. Other people will sometimes violently react to this conviction. They don't want to hear what God says. They don't want to submit to his word. They don't want to give in to the lordship of Christ. They don't want to confess him as Lord. There is a price to be paid. But for those who are looking for this country, who long for a better country, who long for a heavenly country, it's a price they're willing to pay for a heavenly reward, for real estate that will always hold its value. Are you investing in that? Because I need to warn you about what happens with earthly investments. Living an earthly life in this world, in view of heaven, being offered freely to you, but continuing to live an earthly life to say, no, I'm going to trust in what I can see. I'm going to trust in whatever majority opinion might be. I'm going to trust in whatever my instincts tell me. I'm going to follow my heart. Well, and the cost of that will be eternal. The cost you pay in, of living a stranger as a stranger in this world, it's temporary. It's temporary. This life does not last forever. So also the cost, the price of living as a pilgrim, as a stranger, as a wanderer, it's temporary. But the price you will pay for choosing this world over heaven, for choosing yourself over Jesus, will last for eternity. And it will end the way this world will end. As we read in Hebrews 12, verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, 
If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, the warnings are coming from heaven. The warning's not from me. The warning is from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. This world will be shaken one way or another. In God's time, in his own way, this world will be shaken. It will be shaken out, so to speak, to see what really holds, what really lasts, and what lasts is faith. If I were to shake out your life, shake out your decisions, your regrets, shake out your accomplishments, shake out all the great things you've done, shake out what other people think of you, shake out everything that you think makes you you, does faith remain or not? It's the only thing in us that will last. What are you investing in today? Once you've narrowed down the options, you've weighed the costs, the eternal costs, the only thing to do is to trust God's appraisal. Trust God's appraisal. Trust that what God says about this world is true. And for those who know that this land that God has promised, that heavenly real estate is better than anything in this world or anything that this world could offer me, hear these words. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's for those who are willing to forsake everything, if need be, for Jesus, for the promise of God. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. Do you trust God's appraisal? Well, it's easy to trust God's appraisal when we're sitting in church, generally. We respect God's word, generally. We want to heed God's word. But you need to know this. Just as Abraham's faith was tested, so also yours will be tested. Just as Abraham had opportunities, verse 15, opportunities to return, so also you will have opportunities. Opportunities are all around you. All around you. When you're in private, when you're in public. Opportunities to say, you know what? I can't wait for heaven. Opportunities to say, is God really watching Opportunities to say, did God really say that? Does God really care? Those same opportunities were available to Abraham. They're available to you. Watch out. Watch out. And so often, it is when we face a fork in the road, when adversity comes, that our choice becomes clear whether or not we trust God's appraisal of this world. I heard this illustration, and I, I'm going to use it. I think it's a good one. You imagine two people walking down a road. There's a dog following closely behind them. You don't know whose dog it is. The dog is following both of them. Until they come to a fork in the road. They can go right, 
or they can go left. One individual goes right, another goes left. And it is at that moment that you can tell whose dog that is, can't you? Who does the dog follow? The dog follows the owner. So also when we face a pivotal crisis point in our lives, maybe it's a global crisis point, maybe it's a personal crisis point, a moment where you realize that you cannot bank on this world, a moment where you become deeply disappointed with this world, Someone's let you down. Something has let you down. A circumstance has come your way, and you realize, I can't bank on this. There's no hope for me in this. It's in that crux, in that crucible, in that pivotal moment that your real master will be seen, and it will become evident what you have spent your life investing in, or rather, who you've spent your life investing in. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, says Jesus. Where's your heart today? Examine yourself. Examine your life. What do you spend most of your time investing in? What do you spend most of your life pouring into? What occupies your private moments? Are you investing in earthly real estate or heavenly real estate? The options are that stark. Are you with Abraham? Are you with this great cloud of witnesses or not? Now, some will object here and say, okay, see, here's the problem with Christianity. It's so heavenly-minded that it's of no earthly good. This is pie-in-the-sky religion. What good is this? Don't you see we have real human misery Real human injustice, we have real problems we need to deal with. And you're talking about heaven. What good is that? Here's the problem with that line of thought. If you are truly heavenly minded, if you are truly invested in the things that will last, you will be of earthly good. Let me put it the other way. If you are of no earthly good, then you are not heavenly-minded. Thinking about heaven, studying about heaven, longing for heaven, longing for this better country, craving it, desiring it, should inevitably lead you to be a better spouse, to be a better parent, to be a better friend, to be a better worker, to exercise good stewardship over the life that God has given you because you realize this is temporary. This is temporary. I have this finite amount of time in which to be faithful, in which to be found faithful. And I'm not going to squander it. I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to take a single moment for granted. Heaven awaits. And I'm longing for heaven. Therefore, I'm going to be found faithful wherever God has placed me and whatever circumstances God has placed us. Are you looking forward to that time and that place where these words will be true? Revelation 21, verse 3. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain 
For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's God's appraisal. Is it trustworthy and true in your eyes right now? Are you living like it's trustworthy and true? Is there any evidence of heaven in your life right now? Would people who know you, especially in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of turmoil, would they be able to say, that's someone, that's someone who believes in heaven. That's someone who is looking to Jesus. That's someone who believes that this world is passing away. Or not. It's available to you. This life, in part, is available to you now in Jesus Cry out to him. Call out to him. He's available. He's right here to save you. And if you are calling upon the name of the Lord, if you trust him to save you, are you living like you trust him? May we be found faithful whenever he returns. Amen. May we be found faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise of a better country. We thank you for the promise of heaven. We thank you for the constant reminders that this world cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And Lord, if, if nothing that's happened up to this point has gotten our attention, if nothing to this point has softened our hearts, if nothing to, to this point has shown us the bankruptcy of life in this world, Lord, may this be the day when we become fully convinced and gripped by your eternal truth. And Lord, I pray that we, like this great cloud of witnesses, when facing this choice between heaven and earth, when facing the choice between you and our selfish desires. Lord, by your Spirit, help us to choose you. By your grace, Lord, help us to look to Jesus. Help us to trust in Jesus, come what may. Help us to live with faithfulness until that day when Jesus returns to bring us with him to glory. Until then, Lord, help us to trust you as you lead us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.